Chapter Two of Mr. Incool's Misadventure. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mr. Incool's Misadventure by Edgar Saltis. Chapter Two. Miss Barhite agrees to change her name. A day or two after Mrs. Bachelor's reception, Mr. Incoul walked down Madison Avenue, turned into one of the adjacent streets, and rang the bell of a private boarding-house. As he stood on the steps waiting for the door to be opened, a butcher-boy passed, whistling shrilly. Across the way a nursemaid was idling with a perambulator. A slim-figured girl hurried by. A well-dressed woman descended from a carriage, and a young man with a flower in his buttonhole issued from a neighboring house. The nursemaid stayed the perambulator and scrutinized the folds of the woman's gown. The young man eyed the hurrying girl. From the end of the street came the whistle of a retreating butcher, and as it fused into the rumble of Fifth Avenue, Mr. Incoul heard the door opening behind him. "'Is Miss Barhite at home?' he asked. The servant and negro answered that she was. Then be good enough, said Mr. Incoul, to take her this card. The drawing-room, long and narrow as is usual in many New York houses, was furnished in that fashion which is suggestive of a sheriff's sale, and best calculated to jar the nerves. Mr. Incoul did not wince. He gave the appointments one cursory, reluctant glance, and then he went to the window. Across the way the nursemaid still idled. The young man with a flower was drawing on a red glove, stitched with black, and as he looked out at them, he heard a rustle, and turning, saw Miss Barhite. "'I have come for an answer,' he said simply. "'I am glad to see you,' she answered, very glad. "'I have thought much about what you said.' "'Favorably, I hope.' Well, "'That must depend on you.' She went to a bell and touched it. "'Archibald,' she said, when the negro appeared, "'I am out.' If any visitors come, take them into the other room. Should anyone want to come in here before I ring, say the parlor is being swept. The man bowed and withdrew. He would have stood on his head for her. There were few servants that she did not affect in much the same manner. She seemed to win willingness naturally. She seated herself on a sofa, and opposite to her Mr. Incoul found a chair. Her dress, he noticed, was of some dark material, tailor-made and unrelieved save by a high white collar and the momentary glisten of a button the cut and sobriety of her costume made her look like a handsome boy a young olympian as it were one who had strayed from the games and been arrayed in modern guise indeed her features suggested that combination of beauty and sensitiveness which was peculiar to the greek lad but her eyes were not dark they were the blue victorious eyes of the norseman and her hair was red the red of old gold that red which partakes both of orange and of flame i hope mr incoul began but she interrupted him wait she said i have much to tell you of which the telling is difficult will you bear with me for a moment surely he answered it is this it is needless for me to say i esteem you it is unnecessary for me to say that I respect you, but it is because I do both that I feel I may speak frankly. My mother wishes me to marry you, but I do not. Let me tell you first that when my father died he left very little. 
but the little that he left seems to have disappeared. I do not know how or where. I know merely that we have next to nothing, and that we are in debt beside. Something, of course, has had to be done. I have found a position. Where do you suppose? she asked, with a sudden smile and a complete change of key. But Mr. Incool had no surmises. In San Francisco, the McDermott's, you know, the Bonanza people want me to return with them and teach their daughter how to hold herself and what not to say. It has been arranged that I am to go next week. Since the other night, however, my mother has told me to give up the McDermott's and accept your offer. But that, of course, I cannot do. And why not? To this Miss Barhite made no answer. You do not care for me? I know there is slight reason why you should, yet might you not, perhaps in time? The girl raised her eyebrows ever so slightly. So you see, she continued, I shall have to go to San Francisco. Mr. Incoul remained silent a moment. If, he said at last, if you will do me the honor to become my wife, in time you will care. It is painful for me to think of you accepting a position which at best is but a shade better than that of a servant, particularly so when I am able, nay anxious, he added pensively, to surround you with everything which can make life pleasant. I am not old, he went on to say, at least not so old that a marriage between us should seem incongruous. I find that I am sincerely attached to you, unselfishly perhaps would be the better word, and if the privilege could be mine, the endeavor to make you happy would be to me more grateful than a second youth. Can you not accept me? He had been speaking less to her than to the hat which he held in his hand. The phrases had come from him haltingly, one by one, as though he had sought to weigh each mentally before dowering it with the wings of utterance. But as he addressed this question, he looked up at her. Can you not? he repeated. Miss Barhite raised the handkerchief to her lips, and bit the shred of cambric with the disinvoltura of an heiress. Why is it, she queried, why is it that marriage ever was invented? Why cannot a girl accept help from a man without becoming his wife? Mr. Incoul was about to reply that many do, but he felt that such a reply would be misplaced, and he called a platitude to his rescue. There are wives and wives, he said. That is it, the girl returned, the color mounting to her cheeks. If I could be but to you one of the latter. He stared at her wonderingly, almost hopefully. What do you mean? he asked. Did you ever read Eugenie Grandet? No, he answered, I never have. Well, I read it years ago. It is, I believe, the only one of Balzac's novels that young girls are supposed to read. It is tiresome indeed. I had almost forgotten it. But yesterday I remembered enough of the story to help me to come to some decision. In thinking the matter over and over again, as I have done ever since I last saw you, it has seemed that I could not become your wife unless you were willing to make the same agreement with me that Eugenie Grandet's husband made with her. What was the nature of that agreement? It was that, though married, they were to live as though they were not married, as might brother and sister. Always? Yes. No, Mr. Incoul answered. To such an agreement I could not consent. Did I do so, I would be untrue to myself, unmanly to you. 
but if you will give me the right to aid you and yours i will according to my lights leave nothing undone to make you contented and if i succeed in so doing if you are happy then the agreement which you have suggested would fall of itself would it not he continued would it not be baseless see he added and he made a vague gesture but before he could finish the phrase the girl's hands were before her face and he knew that she was weeping mr incoul was not tender-hearted he felt toward miss barhite as were she some poem in flesh that it would be pleasant to make his own in her carriage as in her looks he had seen that stamp of breeding which is coercive even to the dissolute in her eyes he had discerned that promise of delight which it is said the lost goddesses could convey and at whose conveyance the legend says the minds of men were enraptured it was in this wise that he felt to her such exhilaration as she may have brought him was of the spirit and being cold by nature and undemonstrative her tears annoyed him he would have had her impassive as befitted her beauty beside he was annoyed at his own attitude why should there be sorrow where he sought to bring smiles but he had barely time to formulate his annoyance into a thing even as volatile as thought the girl had risen and was leaving the room as she moved to the door mr incoul hastened to open it for her but she reached it before him and passed out unassisted when she had gone he noticed that the sun was setting and that the room was even more hideous than before he went again to the window wondering how to act the entire scene was a surprise to him he had come knowing nothing of the girl's circumstances and suddenly he learned that she was in indigence unable perhaps to pay her board bills and worried by small tradesmen he had come prepared to be refused and she had almost accepted him but what an acceptance in the nature of it his thoughts roamed curiously he was to be little more than kin a little less than kind she would accept him as a husband for out-of-door purposes for the world's sake she would bear his name at arm's length according to the terms of her proposition were she ever really his wife it would be tantamount to a seduction he was to be with her and yet until she so willed it unable to call her his own and did he refuse these terms she was off no one knew whither but he had not refused he told himself he had indeed not refused he had merely suggested an amendment which turned an impossibility into an allurement what pleasanter thing could there be than the winning of one's own wife the idea was so novel it delighted him for the moment he preferred it to any other beside it his former experience seemed humdrum indeed but why had she wept her reasons however he had then no chance to elucidate miss barhite returned as abruptly as she had departed forgive me she said advancing to where he stood it was stupid of me to act as i did i am sorry are we still friends her eyes were clear as had she never wept but there were circles about them and her face was colorless friends he answered yes and more he hesitated a moment and then hastily added it is agreed then is it not you will be my wife i will be your wife as balzac's heroine was to her husband you have said it but not always if there come a time when you care for me 
then i may ask you to give me your heart as today i have asked for your hand when that day comes believe me she said and her delicious face took on a richer hue when that day comes there will be neither asking nor giving we shall have come into our own with this assurance mr incoul was fain to be content and after another word or two he took his leave for some time after his departure miss barhite stood thinking it had grown quite dark before the window a street lamp burned with a small steady flame but beyond the azure of the electric light pervaded the adjacent square with a suggestion of absinthe and vice one by one the opposite houses took on some form of interior illumination a newsboy passed hawking an extra with a noisy aggressive ferocity as though he were angry with the neighborhood and dared it come out and wrestle with him for his wares there was a thin broken stream of shop girls passing eastward at intervals men in evening dress sauntered leisurely to their dinners to restaurants or to clubland and over the rough pavement there was a ceaseless rattle of traps and of wagons the air was alive with the indefinable murmurs of a great city miss barhite noticed none of these things she had taken her former seat on the sofa and sat her elbow on her crossed knee her chin resting in her hand while the fingers touched and barely separated her lips the light from without was just strong enough to reach her feet and make visible the gold clock on her silk stocking but her face was in the shadow as were her thoughts presently she rose and rang the bell archibald she said when the man came and who at once busied himself with lighting the gas i want to send a note can't you take it it's only across the square i'll have to be mighty spry about it miss the old lady do carry on most unreasonable if i go for anybody but herself she has laws that strict they'd knock the swedes and prussians silly why you wouldn't believe if i told you how and archibald ran on with an unbelievable tale of recent adventure with the landlady but the girl feigned no interest she had taken a card from her case on it she wrote viens ce soir and after running the pencil through her name she wrote on the other side lennox lay esquire athenium club there she said interrupting the negro in the very climax of his story it's for mr lay you're sure to find him so wait for an answer a fraction of an hour later when miss barhite took her seat at the dinner table she found beside her plate a note that contained a single line will be with you at nine i kiss your lips l l end of chapter two